The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. All right. Um, <clears throat> I want to, over the last couple weeks, we've been going through two ways to live. We have um, been putting these tracks out. We will continue to put them out. I want to update you on just a couple of things. We've ordered some more. Uh, because the supplies are going fast. Uh, so we want to we wanna be able to replenish all those things. Uh, also tell you, uh, when you take them, uh, take, uh, you can take as many as you want, but when you take them, you're saying, I'm going to hand all of these out this week, because that's how many I'm, ha- I'm taking, right? And I won't take another one until I get all these handed out. But if you take them all at once, then we won't have any more to give out to people. So, so just be judicious about that. I don't care if you took 15. If you gave them all out that week before you get back next week, that's fantastic. We'll just order more. Um, we, have, we also have some Spanish ones coming. And they also have ones in Chinese, and I think we ordered some of those today as well. Um, we also took, undertook a little project tonight. Our ESL folks have been getting a, a high contingency of Vietnamese people, and they don't make this tract in Vietnamese, all right? So we looked, and they didn't have it anywhere. So we used our handy-dandy computer skills, and we think we might have a, fearfully, we might have a translation for Vietnamese that we can, we managed to get not ourselves knowing Vietnamese. <laughs> so, so if you hear one of the Vietnamese students saying, what's this whole deal about George dying on a railroad tracks, then you know the translation went awry somewhere. Okay. <laughs> so you just correct them and say, no, George didn't fasten himself to a weaver's beam. Jesus died on a cross. All right. Uh, so, so we have that uh, printed and we had it uh, bound and everything like that. And we've got it up there for them. So one of the students is going to go through and see if anything sounds funny or, you know, ridiculous or something like that to them and underline that for us so we can make some corrections. But if this works, we potentially have access to a lot of different translations of this track. So uh, our ESL folks might really make good use of that. So we can pray to that end. Uh, But we have some more coming and and hopefully being able to work through some different translations too. So if you you happen to know people, uh, like I said, we've got Spanish and I think Chinese also coming. Um, okay, so that being said, this tract, we're, we're wanting to really be a catalyst for us as a church body to just, the idea is really simple, is to just take one on the back, just write your name on it, and it, it serves as an invitation to church, but it's also a, a great way as you encounter somebody, you've got this thing in your back pocket, or maybe you've got it in your purse or something, and you kind of go, hey, I've got this thing here, and we kind of had this conversation. Maybe you might be interested in this. And it's a good, maybe a bridge to be able to talk about the gospel. It's also a good way, if you are in a gospel conversation, to just walk somebody through very simply through the gospel, and it's something for them to take that they can read later and maybe ask questions later. Um, It's got service times on the back and everything like that. But it's also a really, I, I, I feel like it's a really good explanation of the gospel because it presents a very simple decision. It, it's not merely a decision of, do you want to believe what I believe? Which is, to, in my opinion, sometimes the way tracks come across is, here's what I believe, do you want to believe this too? It's really not presented that way. If you read through it, it is presented as, there is one God on the throne, and your choice is either to bend the knee to him now, or when it's too late. 
The choice is yours, and you're going to make that choice when you close this tract. You're going to make the choice. And if you close it and you just walk away, you've made a choice. And so it, it, I like that because it, it puts the urgency of that decision right now. It's not a, it's not a matter of waiting. It's, it's, you know, it's a right now decision. And so it, it forces that rea- the reality of the situation, I think, uh, it weighs heavy uh, when, you, when you present this to him. So I feel like it's good for that reason. And so we've gone through the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about the first couple of panels of uh, this tract. And my goal here is just to explain each panel one week at a time. And these are going to be on our, our website. So if you do give this to somebody, on the back will be the address of this particular series. And when they type in that address, it will go there and it will give them a more in-depth explanation for each panel of the track, should they have questions about it or should they seek it out. Um, and we can also see if there are people that are actually using it. So it's, it's good. Uh, so the last week, we, uh, just to review things, we basically said that, obviously, when you, when you look around at the world, where we started week one was that it's very obvious that God created this place. This, this is finely tuned for people to live. But last week, it, it's also obvious that the world is broken. There's something not quite right with it. Uh, we can see that it's tuned, but obviously, as every major religion will tell you, um, as even an ardent atheist would agree that there's obviously something that's not right about this place. And what we talked about last week was that the problem came when mankind, the very ones that God commissioned to rule over the world and be responsible for it, rebelled against God. And in our rebellion against Him, we rejected Him as King and enthroned ourselves. So that was the choice. It It was a choice that Adam and Eve faced right then. It's a choice that we face right now, is who is sitting on the throne of your heart, period. And if it is not God, it is you. You are the one that governs your own lives. You're, you're the one that makes the rule then, uh, if it is not God. So as a result of this sin that uh, Adam and Eve committed at the beginning, all of mankind all inherited that rebellious nature, We are, by nature, rebellious. We are born rebellious. And we rebel against, not just rebellious against our parents, but we're ultimately rebellious against God by nature. God didn't create us to be that way, and yet we are that way. So we're obviously rebellious from the beginning. This rebellion against God has obviously broken our relationship with Him, and it's the same problem that every single human being has faced since the dawn of of civilization, of humanity. Now, the problem is we tend to think of ourselves as naturally good. Uh, and, and even sometimes as we grow up in the church, we have to be reminded we're not naturally good. Uh, I've yet to be in a Sunday school class or even really a church where we've taught, you know, man's depravity from the womb, and, and yet people go, well, why does he send people to hell? Like, right? Like, well, we're not naturally good. By default, we are not. And if you have kids and you've ever been around a kid, you know that this is true. That from the womb to the tomb, we are bent just a little bit. Um, so we're not naturally good. Um, but this is because by nature, we reject God's law. We don't want it by our nature. 
And uh, so we put our own law in its place. Now, this law that we put in its place, which is, our, uh, which is a law of our own making, it conveniently is a law that excuses all of our own sin and it allows us to accuse everyone else for theirs, right? So it, it allows us very conveniently to point to everyone else, and then when it comes to us, we, it has a hard time of reflecting back on us. But that's not the way God law, God's law works. Even in the book of James, you remember uh, God's law is presented there as like a mirror, that it, it shows you your sin. And even in Paul, in Romans, he, he, that's basically what he says. Look, the law is there to demonstrate to you what sin is. Because it didn't say don't covet, you would have no idea that coveting is a sin. And so it's a mirror that points to our own flaws uh, more than it does to anyone else's around us. But our law that we present allows us to criticize everyone else rather than reflecting back on us. Convenient. Okay, so... All that being said, we're bent. This is one other area where I, where I really do like this tract. And, I, and I, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. It does have weaknesses. We've acknowledged those. Uh, everything does. But uh, one thing that I really like about it is normally you'll see a tract that presents four panels. So last week's would be, we've sinned, right? This week would be, Christ came to redeem us. This one has one more put in there, which I think is, is really helpful which is we are now, because of that sin, under God's justice. If he didn't do something about that, he would be unjust. I feel like that's a pivotal point of the gospel. What you have to understand is that if God let your sin slide, he would be unjust. You have to know this. I think this is one of the more pivotal moments. And this, to me, is one of the ones, if anybody is going to have any kind of pushback, it's probably less likely to be a created universe. Many, many people out there are looking around and going, eh, something happened, right? Even if they don't want to... Typically, you don't find too many full-fledged Darwinists. Okay. Um, but, and then even the brokenness around us in the world. A lot of people are going to go, okay, I can see that. It's this moment right here that many people are going to push back. And here's, we'll see why. Uh, our sin has ruined the world that God gave us to rule. What's even more, our rebellion against God makes us deserving of His righteous judgment. This judgment by God is another important aspect of the gospel. Okay, we're starting to get to it, especially when we say our sin makes us worthy of God's righteous judgment. Okay, let's look at Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, after that comes... Judgment. All right? 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-9. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Right there is a very powerful statement about what is a result of sin. 
This is clearly what's going to happen. So here, here's the way the track says it. Panel, uh, this would be panel number three. This would be the first paragraph. Like any good ruler, God cares enough to take our rebellion seriously. He holds us accountable for our actions because it matters to Him that we dishonor Him, that we treat other people so poorly, and that we ruin His world. In other words, God won't let the rebellion go on forever. It would be unjust of Him to do so. Now, I want you to notice just a couple of things in that, in that paragraph. One is, it doesn't just categorize sin as the thing that Hitler did, right? That's the easy way to say, look, look at all these atrocities that happen in the world that are out there. You know, he killed six million Jews, or Stalin and Lenin, and the bad things that they did, or the things bad men do and have done throughout history. Let's do that. It actually says, our rebellion. And the whole time, the tract is talking about little, even little sins. Just rejecting God's law. And typically, by this point of the conversation, by the time you get to the third panel, the way you've started to define it is lying. Deceit. You know, treachery of all kinds. Which puts all of us in that boat. And now, by the time we've gotten here, we say, this is part of the problem. So when you look at the world around you and you recognize that it's broken, you also have to recognize that your sin is part of what broke it. The ones you commit is also what breaks it. So let's say, for just a thought exercise, we were able to eliminate all the heinous things people did. Hitler killed six million people. Okay, well then what becomes the heinous thing? Well, people that killed 5 million people, that would be heinous, right? Okay, well, say we eliminated that. We get all the way down. Now it's somebody that killed one person. That's the heinous thing, right? Well, if you eliminated that, you get all the way down. It's people that have hate in their heart for somebody else. So by the time you work your way down to evil in this world, you're part of what causes it, right? You don't get out of this just because you've never murdered 6 million people. Your lies also are part of what breaks this world. Your rebellion has played into the brokenness in this world. And if God just let that slide, He would be considered unjust. And you would consider a judge unjust if what was standing in front of them was a criminal and they said, you can go free. You would consider that, person, that judge unjust. He didn't execute the law, as we even see right now. In our society. So as we've seen, the world is broken and widely regarded as such by Christians and non-Christians alike. Most will recognize that widespread injustice is evidence of the world's corruption. So I, I, I maybe give a little bit of credibility to people who are having kind of an honest conversation. I think they would recognize that there is injustice in the world. Even if they are claiming, I can't define what is just and what is not just, right? Even if they're saying there's no absolute truth or whatever. I think they would look around and say, okay, these, these certain things are, are, those are 
evidences of injustice in the world that need to be rectified, that need to be corrected. There's corruption in the world that needs to be addressed. But while these things are widely agreed upon, few will recognize that their rebellion against God is an injustice that needs to be rectified. And further, that only God can do anything about it. So if we have established that this world is finely tuned, that God created it, and He created it with a purpose, and I've told you what that purpose is, But then you can also say, it's not quite what it should be. And that seems obvious to me, too. Then what you also have to recognize is that all of those injustices, the things that you've committed and the things that all the way up to Stalin or whoever the worst man you can think of in your life is, all of those things together are evidence of that brokenness, of that rebellion, of that sin, of the part that makes the world not quite what you'd want it to be. All of those things add up to that. And because of that, if there is a God that has finely tuned this created order, you have to then recognize only He's the one that can do something about it. He put it here. He put the world here. And so He's the only one that actually has the power to do anything about it. So that means then, you, sinner, are standing in front of His bench, and He's going to correct you Now, your sin may not be as severe as the worst person in human history that's ever lived. But that doesn't mean that it's not part of the problem. right? If you were to stand in front of a holy God, He would have to correct you as well. And I think we would have to acknowledge that. God's justice against sin, then, is displayed in the world through death. This is one thing that I think sometimes Christians forget in the whole conversation of the gospel. Is that death is evidence of God's judgment. Death is God's judgment. Not necessarily singularly focused on something heinous that the person did. Okay, Meaning like, Boy, they, they were really unjust in their business practices, and now they've got cancer. That's, I mean, maybe, right? But I, I, would, I would have no way of knowing that unless God showed up and just told me that. Hey, I'm giving this guy cancer because he was an unjust business person or whatever. Um, but what we're saying is, because of sin in the creation, because we by our nature have possessed something that we were not created to have, namely a sin nature. Because of that, death is a reality. You remember this? This is in the Bible. Um, Look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, in this passage in Romans 5, Paul is explaining to the church at, or to the the Roman Christians, how we know that death was given as a curse for sin itself. Not, and he's, he's saying this is even before the law. Even before the law was given that said, don't covet, 
Death was still there. So look at what he says in 5.14. He says, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So there was a law given to Adam that said, don't eat. There's law given from Moses on that says, don't do a whole bunch of things, right? But death reigned between Adam and Moses. Why did death reign there? Because sin was now brought into the human race and all sin. That's Paul's point. All of, them are, all of us are guilty from Adam. And the reason you know we're guilty is because even if God didn't give us a law that said don't do this, we still die. Right? So this is what we've got to firmly just kind of staple in our brain. That death is a product of sin in this world. Not necessarily a sin, a particular sin I committed, but a sin nature that I have, that I was born with. Um, okay, so then Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mainly that first part is what we're focused on right now. The wages of sin is death. Romans 2, 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Uh-oh. What are you saying right there? That you, so if you, you look at Hitler, and you say how bad he is, but have you committed any kind of sin? Well, then do you suppose that you're going to escape the judgment too? If God has said, don't do that. All right. So, uh, death is a judgment against all people who by their very nature are in rebellion to Him, which is, of course, all of us, as the Bible says. Now, here's what the track uh, goes on to say. We experience God's judgment against our rebellion in the reality of death. Suffering and death are not... Natural, the corruption, decay, and death in our world are part of God's punishment for humanity's rejection of Him. Remember this. Death is not natural. Cannot reiterate this enough. I hear it every time someone dies. I mean, with almost without fail. This is a celebration. It's not a celebration. If it was a celebration, how come so many people are crying? It's not a celebration. This is not natural. We do rejoice. We, we are sorrowful, and yet we're always rejoicing. Yes, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We do recognize the person in the casket, maybe under great circumstances, that the person in the casket knew the Lord and is with the Lord forever and is not suffering, and we rejoice in that. But it is not natural. This is not a celebration. This is a time of lamenting. Because this isn't normal. This isn't supposed to be how it goes. And, and what's, when we say that about death, we remove that conversation from the consciousness of people. We give the world an excuse to also celebrate death when they come to a funeral. 
That's why it's the pastor's job to stand up there and say, this isn't normal. I, I was at a funeral one time. Probably the most mad I've ever been at a funeral. It was a, a friend of ours there soon after their child was born, had all kinds of heart issues, and they knew they were going to have to do you know, several surgeries, but the prognosis was, if we do all these surgeries at the right time, you know, then by the time he's 18, he'll be functioning, may not ever run a marathon, but will we'll live long into adulthood and shouldn't cause him any more problems. Well, he had like, I, I want to say maybe one or two surgeries, and this, something went wrong with one of the surgeries after it was over. He was home, every, recovering, things like that, and the dam in his heart broke, or something in whatever it was that they tried to fix broke, and it caused a massive issue, and, and, and I think heart attack, stroke, or something, some really bad things happened. But the result of that was not death. The result of that was like 18 months of basically just a vegetable. And just the parents caring for him every day, day and night, for 18 months, barely even getting any sleep, you know, for 18 months, which is just grueling and a lot of suffering. And so this, this baby is like two years old, maybe. Uh, finally, after about 18 months, dies. And so we're at this funeral, and the casket is like that long. And so everybody there is just in tears. The pastor of the church, who I kid you not, was called the resident philosopher. <laughs> On the website, resident philosopher. Anyway, and it said it in the program too. I'm like, what is that even? That's soapbox, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so I'm already mad going in at that. And not one time did Jesus' name get even mentioned. At a church. Not even mentioned. The reality of eternal life, of heaven, of uh, hope in the gospel, not even talked about. This was a celebration of life. And it was, so-and-so did this, and, and, and this, and this is who he was, and he loved these things, and, and that was it. And I sat there with Andrea, and I was like, this is before we even had kids, and I was, I was in tears, and, and they were tears of rage <laughs> more than anything. I was so mad, and I left infuriated. How could you see this tiny little casket and say, this is natural, this is a normal part of life. Tell that to the parents who are, whose lives are forever changed at this. This is not normal. And what's worse is that the people there who have never heard the gospel before and are not Christians are left thinking, oh, death is just a normal part of life. How many times have you heard that? From secularists, death is just a normal part of life. The Christians are the only ones there to say, no, it's not. Death is a normal part of a sinful existence. That's what it's a normal part of. It's a normal part of the life that we're living now. But it's not intended to be that way. And unless we can actually stand up and say, death is not natural. It's not normal. 
It is supernatural. Death is a curse. And it was given to us for sin. And it's evidence of God's judgment on sin. It's actually a foretaste of what's to come. That's the reason funerals are so sobering for people. Is because you're reminded for this long, this is a foretaste of what's to come. Don't get out of here without thinking about that. This is a sample of what comes next. How will you dodge it? Because you're left there at the casket going, well, I can't dodge this bullet. It's coming for me too. It's batting a thousand. Nobody's getting out of here alive, right? It's, it's coming for every single person. And you face that when you're, when you're sitting there at the casket. So it's not natural. Anyone who's attended a funeral or even gone to a hospital room where somebody's gravely ill, that's where you see the fallenness of the world. That's where you see that there's something not right about this. And I, I, I know it's not supposed to be that way. And so it's you know countless millions of people uh, every day spend millions of dollars trying to extend their lives to try to dodge that bullet. You got Neuralink that just planted something in somebody's brain not that long ago. You think it's just to make the blind see? That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it to make, make sure that we can live forever. That's, that's the goal. In spite of the fact that every person who has gotten older, I'm not looking at anybody. All right, hey, I'm, it's, I'm there too, right? Okay, I'm, I'm not, don't, don't watch it. Okay, but as we've all gotten older, we see, like, I don't think I'd want to live forever like this. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You ain't going to do nothing about that. Okay? It, it's, it's coming. You're going to be 120 and you'll be lifting cars, but you'll look like you're 120. Right? <laughs> so, but they, we spend tons of money trying to extend our lives forever because we know that it's wrong. It's something wrong with death. So the reality of death really should, if it's given its gravity, and if you bring the gravity to the, to the conversation and help people understand what death really is, then what it has the ability to do is actually sober people up and really awaken their soul to realize, I don't want to die. I really don't. I don't want to die. Um, and, and what we then see is that physical death is a consequence of our sin. That God created life, and in response to our sin, He takes away life. This is the whole... Uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see these weird kind of phrases every once in a while. Many of them, uh, for various reasons. But one is reiterated over and over in the law. You don't drink the blood. Don't eat the blood. And you remember the explanation that He gives? It's equally sort of strange. Remember what he says? The life is in the blood. And, and, and who does the life belong to? That's mine. You don't get the life. So in the garden, God breathes into man the breath of life. And then man ran off with it. Death is God saying, that's mine, not yours. That's right. Even your very life is on loan to you. 
from the one who gave it originally. So this is very important that people realize is that death is judgment. It is judgment. And, and the re- one of the reasons, well, we're going to get to the reason why that's important in just a minute. One objection that is often raised against the Christian gospel is if God is good and all-powerful, why do injustices happen in our world? Okay, this is why all of that that I've just said up to now is important that you bring to bear on these conversations that you might have with somebody in sharing the gospel. The Bible tells us that death is the beginning of God's response to evil. We're not used to thinking about death this way. And this is what we must help people see. Is that death is evidence that God is doing something about injustice. Here's the problem that person that you're talking to over coffee or whatever is facing. Is that death is coming for them. They know it. So when you say the Bible tells us death is the beginning of God's response to evil, they go, but wait, death is coming for me. I'm not evil. Death should be coming for Hitler. Yeah, and you. If God let any of them slide, God let any of it go away and just turn a blind eye to it. He would be unjust, right? Wouldn't it be unjust for a judge who sets down a law to then overlook transgressors of that law? So if God's law was holy and what he prescribed to you was holiness, and you broke it, what would he be if he turned a blind eye to you? He's not just coming for Hitler. He's coming for you too, right? So that's the thing though. Is that, well, you say you believe in this all-good God, and He's all-powerful, and He can do anything He wants to. Why do these injustices happen? Oh, they're not going to happen for long. All the injustices you've committed, He's coming for you too. Death is coming. Don't worry. He's doing something about it. In fact, we actually get a glimpse of this in Genesis 3, 22-24. He says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Listen to what he says here. Why do Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden? Some people say, well, they broke the law, and so they get kicked out as punishment. Well, that's not quite it. Listen. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever, dot, 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 you see the conclusion that's being made here. What would happen if he was given access to eternal life in a state of sin? Let me, let me rephrase it another way. What would happen if Hitler lived to be 10,000 years old? You think it would only be 6 million Jews that died? How many do you think it would be? Billions upon billions upon billions. What if Stalin or Lenin had eternal life? What would, what would have happened? What if you had eternal life in a state of sin? How long... Would your sin go on? Addictions, things that you turn to over and over again, how long would those go on? 
So, you understand what God is doing here. He's, it's, in, some, in one way, it's a judgment. And it is a judgment. Death is. In another way, it's a mercy. To those who believe, to those who have eternal life, freedom from sin coming, oh, it's merciful that we die. There is a great mercy in it, right? Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which it was taken. So it is punishment, and yet it's also, there's mercy in it. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Track says it this way, but there is further judgment that we will face. We will all one day stand before God and give an account to Him for our lives, for the damage that we have done, for our personal rejection of Him as ruler. The sentence God will pass on that day will be to give us what we have asked for, which is separation from Him. He will cut us off from Himself permanently. It's a good way even to think about hell. It is punishment. It is eternity. You have a sin against an eternally holy God, so the only fitting punishment is an eternity in hell. Another way to phrase that is to flip it around. You have in your sin desired separation from God, and there is, in C.S. Lewis's words, a giving you what exactly what you wanted is a separation from God. Um, so, but what's the result of that? He's going to cut us off from himself permanently. And since God is the source of life, and all good things, being cut off from Him means what? Eternity, eternal death and eternal severance from anything good. A destruction that never ends. So, what that means is that death, the casket, however you want to think about it, is not the full or final consequence of our rebellion. That is a precursor. It's a foretaste. When you go to a funeral, it should, it should give you, it should perk your ears up. Your radar should be up. Going, wait a second. What is this? What does this mean? This is a, a message to you who have gone to a funeral. Hey, hey, something's not right here. I should really think about this. After death comes judgment. And this judgment is something we would be right to dread because we're guilty in our sin. And there's no question but that God will judge us that way. Matthew 13, 47-50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds terrible. Now, the reason this is helpful, especially passages like this, is because some that you're, you're talking to tend to think of God's wrath as something that's in the Old Testament. Oh, the wrathful God, that's the Old Testament God. But once we get to the, to the New Testament, it's like the not Sears brand central, it's the softer side of Sears. You know, the place that sells the towels and the, and the clothes and stuff like that. This is the softer side of God is there in the New Testament. Look how, you know, peaceful and fun-loving and, and happy and hippie Jesus is. But it's Jesus that not only warns us about the wrath to come, he says a ton about it, but also clarifies that this wrath that's coming is eternal. 
How about 20, Matthew 25, 31 to 46? When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave Me food. I was thirsty and you gave Me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed Me. I was naked and you clothed Me. I was sick and you visited Me. I was in prison and you came to Me. Then the righteous will answer Him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So if you think, even if you thought, that, hey, at the end of this, there may be a God who's going to judge, but the ones who disobeyed Him, the ones who you know, don't love Him, the ones, in this case, in the, the goats in this illustration, well, they're just going to be evaporated, and it's just, you know, they're obliterated for all of eternity and, and never to be seen or heard from again. That's not what he says. It says eternal punishment. Eternal, that's the first half, forever. Punishment, that's the second half, which doesn't sound like poof. That sounds like punishment. <laughs> that sounds like torture, right? So, I'll just tell you what the Bible says. That's what it says. There you go. What are you going to do with it? So it's a terrible thing then, this is how the track on this panel ends, this is a terrible thing to fall under the sentence of God's judgment. As Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a pro it's a, I added that little the verse reference there, but that's a good one to hold on to. It's a prospect we all face because we're all guilty of rebelling against God. Now, I want, to, I want to show you this as an illustration. The, the, stat, the stat that I'm about to show you is, is old, okay, admittedly. It's 2003, so that's old. I can't imagine that it's gotten much better. It's probably only gotten worse. But this is the 2003 Barna research found that 76% of Americans believe in heaven and 71% surprisingly believe in hell. However, only 32% of those who do believe that hell exists, believe that it's a real place of torment and suffering for people's souls after death. So, hell exists, 36% would say hell exists, but I'm not sure what it really is, right? It's not necessarily what the Bible describes it as. But the most telling statistic is that only one half of 1% of all Americans expect 
to go to hell upon their death. So what did I tell you in the beginning? The injustice that people observe in the world, they don't think that they're the cause of it. This is one reason why I do really like, I think is a strength of this track, is right there in panel number three, you force the person to confront their own practice of sin. It's not just out there. It's in here. Here is God's holy law. What, what about you? I know I'm guilty of breaking it. What about you? I thought I was pretty good. But then I look at the Bible and I'm like, well, I'm not. Turns out. So what about you? You telling me you get off scot-free? I don't think so. So the evidence of God's justice toward sinners is all around us. It's a foretaste of judgment to come. The hurdle for most people we encounter with the good news is that they do not consider themselves to be a part of the problem. So, you know, with all of those things in mind, I was thinking, like, what would be some, maybe some approaches to consider for people? Like, as you're maybe talking with them, what, what might be some things, so two blanks there are, I'm going to advance the slide here in a second, but themselves and part of the problem. Themselves and part of the problem. Um, one, one approach is as a, a thought experiment, like what, we've, what I've been asking this, this whole time, is ask the person to imagine the magnitude uh, of evil that Hitler would have accomplished if he lived forever. So then, is it possible that his death, or the death of any tyrant, is an example of God's judgment towards sinners? Is it possible that when you see, you, you, you would accuse God of evil and injustice because, well, Hitler did what he did. But couldn't you also say that it's an example of God's justice that he took him out? If he gets the blame for letting him go, does he not also get the credit for taking him out? Is that how it works? Because if so, then you have to admit that Hitler's death is judgment against sin, as an example. As another thought experiment, um, you might ask someone first to consider what judgment would be like for them if they stood in front of God today. And typically what you'll see is that their answers vary from, oh, not very good, if they're being honest with you. And if they're not, great, I think I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I'm, I'm not Hitler. Um, but then when you ask them, why do you think that is? Why do you think that you would fare well in front of God? Well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I've done this, that, and the other. Or, not very good. Why do you think that? Well, because... Because I, I do this, that, and the other, and I've thought these things, and I realized, you know, whatever. It tells you a lot about what they think about the gospel. I will guarantee you 99 point, just put a bunch of nines there after the, <laughs> the decimal point, of the people that you come across, when you ask them to give you the gospel, they will give you works righteousness. I mean, every time. I would say... I would probably put that 99.9% .9 of even Christians, people that would say, I'm a Christian, I go to church. 
I'm, I believe in Jesus. You know, trust Jesus for salvation. Okay. If you were to stand in front of God today in judgment, how do you think you would fare in that judgment? Well, not, not good. Why? Well, because I don't do very... Or, I think pretty good because I'm a pretty good person. And you're like, well, I thought you believed in Jesus. What is this with this works righteousness stuff? That's going to cause you to fare well in judgment. Um, as another approach to consider, uh, especially in following that question about how they would fare in judgment, especially if they give you a, I'll be pretty good. I mean, I think I'd do pretty good. Going through the Ten Commandments can be really helpful. Uh, so if, let's say God is judging you, then we, we could probably agree that the Ten Commandments, as he's revealed them, might be a good, maybe a, just a rubric for how you would fare. So let's go through them and see what you, what you think. Um, it can be helpful for, I think, uh, unbelievers maybe to just consider for just a second what judgment would be like and what God's justice has to do with them. Well, have you lied? Have you ever lied? Well, then you've broken the law, God's holy law. Well, have you ever stolen anything? It says, thou shalt not steal. There's not even much after that. It just says, don't steal. <laughs> I mean, so, <laughs> have you stolen? You have. Well, then you broke that one. Right? James will even say, if you, and Paul both, if you've broken one of these, you've broken the whole thing. So it, you're a transgressor. You, you, it just labels you as a transgressor, and there's no misdemeanors or felonies. It's just one flat, you broke it. Right? That's all there is. So when you go through that, most can see that lying, stealing, adultery, things that people will often confess to having done, uh, and know that they've done, and many of these we've all done, you know, are sins that give evidence to the fact that your condemnation is just. And if God were to just merely overlook your stealing, or overlook your lying, what would that make Him? It would make Him unjust. So if we're, we're actually coming to think about God's justice, of course God would be unjust if He let Hitler go. But he would also be unjust if he let you go and me go. So, by the time you get to the end of panel three, things should be looking pretty bleak. Should be looking as bleak as it can possibly get. And as, as people you share the gospel with will probably say at that point, well, then we're all up a creek. Yes. We all are. Let's turn to the next page because it gets a lot better. This is why it's good news. This is why it's called the gospel. This is why it's called good news. Is because there had to be a way for God to be just and also take care of our sin problem. He's got to be just and he's got to maintain his justice, but he's also got to take care of the sin problem, or as Paul's going to put it, so that he could be just and the justifier. How is that going to happen? Well, that's next week. Not for your person, though, that you're talking to. Get to that right there in the conversation. Keep going. Okay, but for you, you're going to have to wait till next week. Uh, <laughs> questions? Timothy.
It's a long rap sheet. They call that a rap sheet, I think. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who didn't hear, or for the recording, obviously, uh, you want to run through the numbers again. Three sins a day is 21 sins a week. 1,092 a year. 60 years is 65,000 plus sins. What judge is going to let that rap sheet go? That's, a, that's quite a long rap sheet there. And that's just three a day. That's three a day. And uh, I wish it were only three a day. <laughs> like, hey, that's a good day. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> Yeah. Other questions? Go ahead, Bob. That death was a thing for humans? Is that what you mean? Like, yeah. hmm. yeah, where I'm using death in this and where this is talking about death is specifically related to human beings dying. Yeah, but, so, so the question was, so if all things die, isn't there kind of a, I'm, I'm going to try to summarize it if I best I can, because I get in trouble all the time for not saying the question over the, the recording. Um, there is, seems to be a universality of death because we see other things die. Is that kind of the summary? So then, so then wouldn't we say, well, it, it is just a product of the universe, Kind of the principles of the universe. Then. Oh, so you're making that argument, but your atheist friend certainly would not be. Yeah, the argument Bob is making is that the, there is a difference between the human death versus the death of everything else. The atheist might be arguing death is, a, there's a universal principle of death that is kind of given to all, and that's just kind of the product of the way things are. But, obviously, when is the last time you mourned the death of a tree? You, you do. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that in perpetuity. That probably is going to change, you know. But for the most part, people don't mourn the death of a tree. And they also look at the people who do as having something wrong with them. Um, and so, of course, you know, obviously in our world it's gone crazy, but um, I think we would all recognize that it, that it is different going to a funeral for a person. Um, that being said, if you want to say, I, I do think it is a principle that death is still supernatural and it is inflicted on all of creation, 
and that creation, as Romans 8 tells us, groans inwardly as it waits for the revelation of the Son as well, because it too is under a curse. Not just the death of a tree. Thorns and thistles are also a product of the fall. So yeah, I mean, I can get on the same page as you, atheists, but we're going to come to two different conclusions about that. You accept it because it's common. It's the same reason that people accept the death of a human being as inevitable. Well, it's, it happens all the time. Death is about a thousand. All those things that atheists say too. But part of the reason you come to accept it is because it's so common. That does not have anything to do with it being supernatural, of course. We're saying it's not natural. It's supernatural. This is inflicted upon us. And we can see that because we have such a deep problem with death, right? We do. Every time I lose a tree, I have a problem with that too. <laughs> why can't it just bear fruit in perpetuity? And why, how do you keep the deer away from it? I don't know. Timothy, last thing and then we got to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Death, separation, yeah. 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 The first two chapters of the Bible, the last two chapters of the Bible, that's what's normal. Everything else in between is the time between the trees, right? You got the tree of life in Garden of Eden, you got the tree of life there at the end in Revelation, and then right in the middle of the Bible, you got another tree. Talk about it next week, all right? Hey, look at that. There's three trees in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, well, we'll get there later. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the gospel. We're grateful for the good news. And as these last three weeks have revealed, we all are under the condemnation of sin. Were it not for what you had done for us at Calvary, if it wasn't for Christ, we would not have any hope. We would be lost. We would be alienated from you. We would be children of wrath like all of mankind. And so we are grateful for what you have done in Christ. That is an understatement for what we are, for what you have given to us by your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ alone. We're thankful for that. We pray that you would take that with us. Give us boldness as we share this to people that it is good news and that people can hear it and respond to it. And we're grateful for that too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.